Amen. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. And if you're like our household, the last couple of weeks have been really busy. There's just been so much going on. And, and uh, everybody is kind of getting back in the groove of things. You know, we took down our Christmas decorations yesterday. And, and um, it, it's kind of sad. We're going to take down the decorations here tomorrow. And I love the Christmas decorations. They make me feel good. They make me happy. And so... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to get things back in some semblance of order, but I do so love the holidays and all that they hold. But I'm ready for a new challenge, and maybe you are too. And you know, as we talk about a new challenge for the church, that seems a little odd since we already know what we're called to do. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We're called to stay true to the message of Jesus Christ, and, and we want to do that. And every year as we begin the year, we, we take on a new challenge, something that we're going to spend some focused time uh, thinking about and preaching about and talking about and studying about. And last year, we were studying about God's good and pleasing and perfect will from Romans. And, and, um, and, and, and we're going to hold on to that, but we're ready for a new challenge. We're ready for God to use us in a new way and, and shape us and mold us and help us to grow and develop in our faith. And, and so we're excited about making some changes in the way we communicate with God, in the way that we embrace his kingdom, in the way we think. And we want to begin thinking differently for this new year. And um, as, I, as I looked on the internet, and you know if it's on the internet, it's the gospel truth. So on the internet, the internet told me that there are all kinds of things that we as a nation want to change. Things that are common um, a current, a popular, so to speak, resolutions. And here are just a few. Apparently, as a nation, we have realized that we are exhausted, that we are worn out, that we are sleep deprived. And so at the top of all these lists, everyone is saying we need to get more sleep. Apparently, we are tired. And so people are resolving to, to get more sleep. The next thing is one that I have heard since I was a little girl, that every New Year people begin to resolve that they're going to make this change in their life. Anybody want to guess what it is? Go on a diet, lose weight, lose weight. Ugh. Okay, so lose weight. Then there's this other aspect to that, which is uh, people are, are wanting to have this resolution that they're going to eat better. Apparently, there are people who don't need to lose weight. I don't know who they are, but apparently there are these people who don't need to lose weight, but they have terrible eating habits. And so they want and desire to have better eating habits. That's a good one, too. Um, I, I thought about that one, and um, I think I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. I think I'm going to jump on the eating better bandwagon because I'm going to confess to you, I have a, oh, probably an unhealthy, um, almost obnoxious love with white flour and sugar. I really do. I adore it. I adore it. And so I'm resolving publicly, Andrea said, uh, you're not really going to say that in front of people. I, uh, this year, I'm going to start to eat better. So looking forward to some celery and some lettuce. So last night we had pizza and breadsticks, you know, anticipation. And uh, I thought it was gonna, we were going to start the diet today, but according to my husband, we're not starting until Monday. So I'm just telling you, today's going to be a bad day. So 
Um, but, you know, we're, we're making these resolutions, these things personally in our lives that we need to change. Another thing that was really common on these resolution lists, people resolving to make some change, was that we realized we need to shut our phones off. That our phones have become a distraction in our relationships with those that we love. And so we're, we're saying, I need to set my phone down. And I think that's an awesome thing to, to, to change. We realize our schedules are out of control and uh, that we need to manage our time better. And, and so we want to get organized. That's another big one. And then the last one is exercise. Uh, I'm, I'm not resolving to that yet. We'll save that one for next year. I've got to save something for next year, you know. So exercise and get in shape. And, you know, as I looked at all these lists on the Internet, and I looked at several, I noticed that something very, very important was missing on all of these lists of all of these things. And all those things are good. I'm telling you, it's good to put your phone down. It, it's good to eat some lettuce and some celery. It's good to do a little exercise. It's, it's, all these things are good for us. But something really important that didn't make the list was that we need to resolve right here and right now that, that we're not going to live according to the Internet's list, but we're going to live according to God's list. And that we've got to 24-7 take a peek at our lives. And we've got to ask ourselves, in, in, in accordance with God's word, how are we lining up? Are we, are we in line with what God's plan is for our life, for our actions, for our relationships, for our words? How are we doing? Are we aligned with God's word? And there's only one way you're going to know you're aligned with God's word, and that's if you're in God's word. We talk about 3D groups here a lot, and, um, and that's where just three people have, uh, get, to, to get together for 30 minutes a week. And, and you guys talk about something that you're doing, each of you, on your own. You're, you have a, a reading plan. You're, you're reading every day. Then you just come together. You answer three questions. You know, how would you do with your reading? And, and then, then you answer the question, what was a couple things that, that spoke to you? this week and then how did you make a connection with someone outside of the church and and we talk about these three things it takes 30 minutes and if you're not a part of a 3d group and you want us to get you uh, in a 3d group you come and see um, Andrea or myself and we'll, we'll, we'll get you in a 3d group but I'll tell you the best groups are groups where you pick three people where where you align with three people and you say uh, we're gonna do this 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 thing called Searching God's word. And, and you grow together. Here are some real simple instructions. I'm going to leave them right here. If you're interested, after the service, you come get one of those. And, and let's start diving into God's word. And, and let's do so, so in a manner that allows us to make some adjustments and some changes. And let's resolve that we're going we're gonna to set our life in line with God's perfect vision, his 2020 vision. You know, when you talk about perfect vision, you talk about having 2020 vision. Well, God's vision is always perfect. And so we want to align ourselves with God's perfect 2020 vision. As a matter of fact, that's going to be our, our focus for, for this, this year. And in doing so, what we know that God desires, God desires that people who don't know him come to know him.
That's this, his, the overarching vision of everything. When you think about all of the things that God has planned for us, all of the opportunities, all of the doors that he opens and the doors that he closes, everything is falling into a line with the bigger vision, which is those who don't know God, God come to know God. It's just that simple. His, his vision is that it doesn't matter who they are, he is searching for them. And, and this search is constant and continual. And, and God is, is desiring that those who don't know him come to know him. And if we are going to be a part of God's 2020 vision, if we're going to absorb what it is that he wants for us and then live it, it means that we've got to have a heart for people who don't know him. We've got to ask ourselves, will I be about, will I honestly be about Seeking those who don't know him. Will I honestly be about seeking those who don't know him? Do I really want to buy into his vision? Or do I just want to focus on things to make me better? See, the internet is going to tell you all these things to make you better. And God's vision is that we make the kingdom of God better. That we grow the kingdom of God. And we as a church are to take part in that. It is our responsibility as Christians. God has said, here is the plan. Are you going to align yourself with this plan? And that means that we've got to ask ourselves, who are we willing to reach out to? Will we, will we reach out? Will we seek those people who don't know him? No matter who they are. No matter what they've done, no matter what they believe, no matter where they've been or what they're involved in, no matter who they are, will we be, be a part of searching for those who don't know him? I can't tell you how many people have told me that they don't want to approach someone because they know that they believe differently than they do. That's the very reason we approach them. And so we got to make some adjustments. we got to make some adjustments in the way we think. We've got to make some adjustments in the way we act. We've got to make some adjustments in the way we behave. We've got to make some adjustments in our attitude toward people who don't know the Lord. Because a lot of times Christians just steer clear of people who don't know the Lord. And the Lord is telling us those are the people that ought to be on your radar, not, not, not in the opposite. And it's going to be challenging absolutely challenging and I know that it's going to be challenging not because God has made it a challenge I know it's a challenge because that's what the enemy wants us to believe that's what the enemy wants us to experience the enemy wants us to experience the challenge of approaching someone who doesn't know the Lord because it is downright challenging because the enemy makes it that way when you feel challenged in regard to sharing the Lord with someone it's of the enemy not of the Lord because the enemy wants to tell you they're not worthy of your time they will never change their mind they will never receive what you have to share they they those people oh I hate that word when people talk about those people I can almost feel my blood boil it's like those people you mean the one that God created you know, created in his image. Yeah, they don't know him now, but if you open your mouth, maybe they will. Instead of talking about those people, let's search for them with, with a heart that says, when I feel the challenge, I know that's of the enemy telling me, keep your mouth shut. They're not going to respond. Because here's the thing. We don't want to be living according 
to the enemy. We don't want to be living according to the internet. We don't want to plan our lives as to, let's just make our life better. Let's make the kingdom better. And let's live according to, to God's perfect 2020 vision. See, the thing is, when it comes to church, too often, churches just want to feel comfy. One of the reasons people like to go to church is because it's just comfy. It's safe. You're surrounded by good people. There's everyone there who, who knows the Lord and they love the Lord. That's all great. Except, as I look at, at the times that Jesus taught, one of the things, one of the things that always turns up is that as Jesus taught in the crowd, there were notable sinners, notorious sinners. Let me tell you what a notable sinner is. A notable sinner is someone who's done something so vile within the community that those who are in the community are all aware. They know what this person has done. They are a notable sinner. And when Jesus spoke, the notable sinners wanted to hear what he had to say. And they felt welcomed in his presence. Man, as a church... We got to make sure that when a notable sinner walks in, we don't <gasps> gasp, which you guys have never done that. I love that about this church. That they feel welcome. That they feel loved. That, that in this place, while, yeah, we're comfy and we love being together, but in this place, those who don't know the Lord feel welcome to come and find him because this is not just a safe place for Christians. This is a safe place for humanity, where, where, where anyone created in the image of God is welcome. See, as a church, we got to link arms. we got to armor up. You ought to come into church feeling like, if there's a battle, I am ready. I am ready because I'm armored up. And, and, and we're going to put our resources together. And we're going we're gonna to do things together. And, and maybe we might be helping another church, like helping the, the, the Farhars down in Shoals. You know, it doesn't have to be our idea. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to come from us. We can, we can link arms and do mighty things with other believers. And when we do that, there's power. And when we do that, those who don't know the Lord are attracted to what we're doing. People who don't know the Lord might be attracted to the fact that they can bring in a pair of shoes. And, and maybe a pair of shoes might be all that, that brings them into this place. I heard someone share a testimony about our church and said the only reason they came to church here was because we had good hot chocolate. That's the truth. It's the honest truth. And if I wouldn't embarrass them, I'd tell you who it is. Because now they, are, they, they know the Lord. They are following the Lord. They are serving the Lord. And I just think that's, I think that's so awesome. So we'll always have hot chocolate, even in July. Because I know the power of a good, good cup of hot chocolate. God's vision. God's vision, folks. It's 2020. And we need to embrace that. We need to make sure that we're not making the vision for church or the vision about our lives about us, about what we want, but that, that we are focusing on what Christ is calling us to. This week, we're going to look at, at what's called the lost and found parables. And these are parables shared by Jesus Christ. And when he spoke these parables, he wasn't just speaking these parables to the religious people. 
There was a whole litany of people there and this whole crew, and there were notables among them as he shares these lost and found parables. Open a Bible, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. That's page 869. And if you're not a strong reader, that's okay. Go ahead and turn to page 869. I'm going to read it with, with us, to us, however you want to say that. And um, then this week, I want you using your study notes, and I want you reading the third parable on your own. But we're going we're gonna to look at these parables. And one of the reasons I love Luke is because the way he writes, he's so super intelligent, but he writes in a very common, easy way to read. And he is also very bold. He shares things that others aren't willing to share. See, this, these lost and found parables that Jesus shared, the others didn't want to write them down because, golly, they were tough to hear. And there were people who didn't like these parables at all, especially the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the ones writing it down. They didn't like these parables that Jesus spoke. They disagreed with them in a huge way. But as we read through these, I want you to listen for four things that are happening. Four really important things that are happening. Something is lost. It's terribly lost. And then someone is searching. Searching for that thing and that someone that's lost. And then the third thing, something finds themselves in this situation and makes a change. Something is found. And last, there is this jubilant experience expression of joy and excitement as as they rejoice something is lost someone is searching do you hear that someone is searching something is found and there is a huge celebration one of these one of these parables which is one of my absolute favorite and it's not just cuz it involves a woman all right it is but um so it's the parable of the lost coin. And this is one of the reasons this really ticked off the Pharisees. Because Jesus talks about this lost coin that this woman is searching for. And they knew exactly what he was saying to them. Because this coin didn't have much value. It didn't have much worth. It was significant to the one who owned it. But what would happen was there was this dowry thing. And when, when a woman would, would marry, her father would give her ten coins. And often these coins didn't have much value other than the fact that her father gave them to her, but it was symbolic of the fact that 10 meant wholeness and unity, 10 meant completion, and so your marriage is going to be complete, it's going to be whole, it's going to be unified, and so these 10 coins um, meant something and signified something, wholeness, and, um, but the coin itself wasn't, wasn't really significant, it didn't have a lot of value, and so they understood that when Jesus was saying that, that she's searching for this coin that doesn't really have a whole lot of value in and of itself, that, that Jesus was saying there are people among us who don't have a lot of value in and of themselves. As people look at their lives, they say, that's a notorious, that's a notable sinner. They don't have much value. And what Jesus is saying is someone searching for them, even though they don't have much value. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they didn't like that. Because see, they liked the fact that they were important people, that they were people of, 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 of dignity and worth. And yet Jesus is going to say that we're going to look for even the most significant 
among us. And when the most insignificant is found, there is wholeness. Come on. They didn't like it at all. The other thing that they could not stand was that Jesus uses a woman in the role of searching. They couldn't stand that because, see, what they knew he was saying was that she's this aligning here, this, this, this thought is that what he's talking about is soul searching. She's searching for souls, and that's what it's talking about here. And That was a traditionally male role. Women didn't do any soul searching. They understood that, that, that they're talking about insignificant people. That's bad enough. But then he's added that a woman is the one doing the searching. Oh, they couldn't stand the parable of the lost coin. And Luke's the only one gutsy enough to record it. So I really like reading Luke. So here we are, we're at verse 1, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners, the notables, folks, they were there. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. He is associating with the low lives and they can't stand it. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them, one of them gets lost, what's he going to do? Won't he leave the 99? You know why he can leave the 99? Because the 99 can take care of each other. The 99 can group together. And be a powerful source of, of strength on their own. So, so he can walk away from the 99 because they know what they're supposed to do. They know how to behave. He'll leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that was lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, hear this, folks, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than the, over the 99 others who are righteous and who haven't strayed. Or suppose a woman with 10 silver coins loses just one. Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search and search and search until she finds it? And when she finds it, she's going to call her friends and her family and her neighbors, and they're going to rejoice. Not because this coin had such value. Because the coin was found. They're going to rejoice. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Amen? So here we are. And as we listen to Jesus tell these parables, he's, he's very intentional. He's very repetitious. There is something that is lost and someone is searching. Do you know who the someone is? Do you know who's supposed to be the one searching? Us, the 99, the church. Church, we are to be searching, searching, searching. And so as we, we listen to these similarities, 
Jesus was determined that those listening would understand that there's importance in the searching and in the finding and in the ecstatic rejoicing. See, one of the problems with churches today is that we absolutely love step four. We absolutely adore the rejoicing, the celebrating, the praising. And often churches just get so focused on getting together and just rejoicing and praising, rejoicing and praising. And while that is great and we love it, if we miss steps one, two, and three, then we're just like a big crowd of people getting together to just say, hey, I'm enjoying myself. Hey, this feels good for me. Hey, I like being here. Hey, it's about me. It's supposed to be about the kingdom. It's about growing the kingdom. It's not about just getting my life straight. It's not just about resolving that I get things right in my life. It's about are we as a church going to embrace his 2020 vision that goes far beyond ourselves, far beyond our own church. 2020 vision means that we have a heart for God in the fashion that he has a heart for us. Are we willing to be part of the search party? Are we willing to do what it takes? Are we willing to love those who are far from him, period? Because that's the vision. That's the vision for all of humanity. This church began embracing that vision. This church began 12 years ago on January the 24th of 2008. And we began not because this community needed another church, because this community doesn't need another church. There are plenty of great churches in this community. That's not why we began. We began as a church not because we wanted to be a better church for Christians to attend. There are other churches doing that, and they're going to do a far better job than we could ever do. We're never going to look all polished up like a church that's got it all pulled together where we just are a great place for Christians to get together and rejoice. This church began with a very clear mission from God Almighty. Thirteen friends got together, and God called us to be people who would develop a church that would recruit converts to Jesus Christ. That's it. And so we're not going to look like other churches. We're not going to have all the bells and the whistles because our call, what God has called us to, is to be a safe haven for the notorious, for the notables, to the sinners. And he's called us to that mission. And, and, and here we are 12 years later. And now with our, 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 our Sunday morning service, with our Thursday evening service, with our Bicknell campus, with the Creole service that takes place at about 1 o'clock right here where you are sitting right now, we average almost 450 people every week in this building. That's huge. That's huge. And what if, what if each of us embraced God's 2020 vision this year? What if we made some adjustments in our life and not just adjustments to our calendar and to our eating and to our exercise and to our sleep, but what if we made some adjustments in the fact that we are going to say that this is the year we're going to dive into God's word. This is the year we're going to be accountable to someone. This is the year and, and we're going to align ourselves with God's perfect vision and we're going to love those who don't know the Lord. We're going to be part of the search party. See, if there's only one thing you hear this morning, only one thing, i got to make sure I'm not yelling. My granddaughter told me the other day, you get up there and yell. <laughs> so I feel like I'm yelling, so I'm just going <sighs> to, if there's only one thing you remember, 
If you only remember one thing. I'm saying that real sweet now, aren't I? If you only remember one thing. That's what I need you remembering. I need you remembering that Jesus wants us to take an active part in searching for those who don't know him. And then he wants us rejoicing over that fact. Not just rejoicing for the opportunity of rejoicing, but rejoicing over the fact that what was lost has now been found. Now, when you approach someone who doesn't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to be real careful about not using that word lost. Don't go up to someone and go, hey, I used to be lost like you, um, but I, now I'm, I've found the Lord. and I, That's not going to go well. You just tell them what God's doing in your life. You just tell them how, how much he loves you. You just tell them how much he's forgiven you. You just tell them about the goodness of Jesus Christ. And if you don't even have the guts to do that, you just bring them here and I'll do it. You, 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 you just bring them to church. And we'll, we'll talk about how good God is. We'll talk about his healing power. This year we'll talk about his vision. And we will say and challenge one another to be a part of the search party. Last Sunday morning right here in this sanctuary, do you know five people, five people raised their hands when, when at the end of the service, and if you've been here before, you know this is a real common thing. We, I ask you to close your eyes and to just bow your head. And we do that out of respect for someone who might be nervous about taking that first step. So they can do that just, just with this acknowledgement in a public place, in a safe environment where they can, where, where they can say, yeah, today's the day. I, I, I lift my hand. Five people, five people. Th Thursday night, right here, two people. That means in the course of the week, seven people have said, I want to follow Jesus. I, some of them, yeah, thank you. They, they're, they're saying, I want, to, I, want to, I want to make a change. And some people are just recommitting. They're saying, I got off track and now I need to get back on track. That's just ever bit as important as someone saying that I never met him at all. And, and so from this point forward, when I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, number one, I expect you to do that, but, but when, when you hear me say, I see your hand, that I want you acknowledging that someone has said, this day, I'm going to follow Jesus. And there ought to be an obnoxious amount of applause when you hear that, those words. So from this point forward, in this sanctuary, when we say, I see your hand, and, and I acknowledge that you're starting this journey, or that you're recommitting to this journey, journey this day, we are going to celebrate. And not just with the polite. I want it to be obnoxious. I want you to say, yes, we are rejoicing. And we are going to be a church that's going to chase after those who do not know the Lord. And so we're adopting a new phrase for this year. And that phrase is, who's your one? Not who's your, whose. Who's your one? Pastor Jason came up with this, and I absolutely love it. If each of us just took one person, we, one person, just one. I mean, this is so doable, folks. And if only half of us buy in, that'd be over 200 people that come to know the Lord in this year. If just half of us say that we're willing to do that. But what if more than half of us said we're willing? I already know who my one is. I have an advantage. I've been thinking about this for a month. You're just hearing it. So, so you start thinking. You start praying. You start asking the Lord, who's my one? And then I want you to love them. And I, and I want you to tell them about the goodness of God. And I want you to pray for them. And I want you to be part 
of the biggest search party Knox County has ever seen. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And I want you to join me in being a part of that. Amen?